Hello, and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day in the capital. Let's see how long it lasts. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Christian Henson, founder and director of Spitfire Audio. Christian, hello. Hi there. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you for coming on the show today. We might as well dive straight in. What is your personal leadership style? Oh, uh, well, I, I'm not kind of trained as a businessman or as a leader, really. So it's very much to be here amongst peers, really. So it's it's much more of a cooperative uh, leadership form, you'd say, that you uh, uh, inhabit. Absolutely. I mean, I uh, within my business, I am operational within all kind of levels and layers of the business, and have, with possible exception to accounts, have uh, I have kind of opinions and interactions and activities within each of the kind of parts of our business. Uh, so I work as an equal within those, whilst also uh, governing strategy with the board at the top. So founding a business like yours in a, in a highly competitive industry is obviously going to be stressful at times, especially uh, in interstaff relations. How do you overcome uh, any sorts of uh, personal impasses that you have with uh, members of staff? Um, well, these are very rare. Uh, and I feel that uh, for me, it is absolutely about getting the right person through the door initially. So I would rather train on the job and have the right person for the job rather than having someone who is highly qualified, um, who uh, 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 may not be of the personality type that uh, uh, we prefer at the business. So that that would be my attitude towards um, uh, uh, it's it's more recruiting the right personality than having to have those those clashes. Which um, on the whole, I'm kind of fortunate with. We haven't suffered uh, too much in that respect. So recruiting is uh, almost completely essential for you. Um, it sounds like you like to mentor uh, the people coming up within your organization. What advice uh, do you give them for the future leaders of tomorrow? Um, well, I don't really, again, I mean, I don't feel I'm really equipped to impart on them uh, 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 specifics of leadership, but I think by leading by example, by being a pleasant person, by uh, uh, respecting that people's motivation is is largely uh, dependent on their morale and their sense of um, self worth and all of those kind of kinds of things. I just think I lead by example, and hopefully, in so doing, they lead their teams by example. It does seem like the most successful leaders do lead by example. Now, when you were coming up in the industry, when you first starting, was there a leader who led by example who formed the way that you look at the business today? Uh, no, not really. My story is quite unusual. By trade, I'm a film composer, so I write music for film and television. And I basically developed some software tools that um, helped me out in my job um, and this turned into a business by mistake. So I just, I have a, I kind of have a great belief in being yourself because everyone else is taken. So I have very much kind of 
put my personality into the business with the with the hope that by being genuine and nice and respectful, remembering that I'm selling products to my fellow peers, my sisters and brothers in the industry, that by being genuine was really the, the, the way forward. And um, I, because I haven't trained as a business person and don't particularly see myself as a leader, I just think being genuine and being oneself is a... Is a, is a, a possibly a key key strategy to our success really well it is important to know who you are and you're able to be confident enough to lead um why don't we open this up to a, a bit of a larger subject if you had to choose objectively the greatest leader that has ever lived who would that be hmm well, certainly as the leader of my family, my mother is, uh, is, is, a, is, a, is a very good example, a very successful lady. But within business and, and within the world in general, I would say that uh, Winston Churchill is someone who I ad- admire. Mm-hmm. And what is and, it about Churchill's leadership strategy uh, that appeals to you? Well, I feel that, again, he was very genuine and very candid and uh, uh, basically uh, 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 this genuineness a kind of i think appeals to me because what he was asking of people was incredibly difficult and it displayed i think a degree of empathy which i feel some le- leaders uh, uh, don't have um i think something that i'm very aware of uh, with uh, people who do lead us is i feel a lack of contrition and I find it incredibly difficult within my business to work with people who don't have contrition. I believe that we only learn from our mistakes. And if we don't admit them, then we cannot learn. And again, we come back to being yourself and yes. learning how to inhabit your own skin. Um, In, indeed, I feel that ego is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is something that I struggle with. And coming from the film and television business, narcissism is is very prevalent within that and that is something that i try and avoid because i find it very cumbersome within a business practice to deal with egos and rampant narcissism because again it 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 means there is a lack of empathy and a lack of contrition i don't believe you can grow as a business without going that was erroneous that was a mistake and we shouldn't make it again what is the best way of handling a narcissistic personality in the workplace? Um, well, I think uh, there are two methods, and I, I believe the only way really of dealing with a narcissist is no contact. So uh, I would say of the, uh, the very few dismissals we've had within our business, I believe that narcissism have, has been a factor. Um, so I try and distance myself from narcissists. What I would recommend if people are stuck um, uh, with narcissists within the workplace is something called the, the grey rock treatment, which is to become incredibly boring and don't feed the narcissism, whether that be injury or uh, uh, by uh, validating them. But it is a very, very difficult thing that within creative industries is, is very prevalent, and I believe within politics as well. Do you feel that there is uh, a growing trend towards narcissism in the general populace due to uh, trying to become your own celebrity via social media? 
I do believe that we're playing into well I think that the difficulty is that what we we are doing is rewarding narcissism and narcissistic traits and that I feel is something that's very that it's a very recent phenomenon um, so I, 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 I do fear it and I think that um, I think that the one thing I, I do think that is encouraging about particularly the Donald Trump situation, um, and I think there's no arguing whether you like him or not, that he's a narcissist, is the word narcissism is being spoken of, particularly with respect to the lack of empathy. And I think, for me, I've always said that empathy is this little talked about thing, but it's like where personality traits are concerned, it's like getting rid of the bees. You do it at your peril. You're not just going to go without honey. I think it will have a serious effect beyond that. And I think uh, not having empathy, I think, is a, a pretty calamitous thing to put into the workplace. Now, there are quite a lot of young people today who are uh, looking up to uh, what I'd like to call pseudo-celebrities on uh, reality shows and on social media platforms that are really uh, providing quite damaging uh, social uh, uh, contracts with each other. Uh, what yes. is your advice to young people? How do you avoid becoming a narcissist in this overly saturated world? Well, I believe uh, narcissism, true narcissism is is a detachment attachment. <laughs> it's a it's it's a form of detachment. It's an attachment disorder. So I believe that it's really down to um, people who are working with young people to. Um, to give them time to validate, validate them, uh, to nurture them. And I think that it is something that um, I don't think social media makes narcissists out of people. I think it can encourage narcissistic behavior. But I think, you know, encouraging contrition and empathy is, is absolutely crucial. And I think also pointing out, because narcissism is a form of mental illness, and I think pointing out behaviors that are actually, um, you know, uh, sociopathic, I think is very important. And I think that it was very interesting. I was watching a podcast recently with some, some actors and they were started talking about Donald Trump and, and this actor, Adam Sandler, became very uncomfortable because he didn't want to get political. And another actor pointed out, this is not about being political. This is pointing out to your children that this behavior should not stand. And I think that that is crucial. So certainly where my business is concerned, um, we nip narcissistic behavior in the, bud, uh, in the bud. And how I define that is by not having empathy and not having contrition. Now, we're running very close to time here. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Spitfire Audio? Well, we're very exciting to be working with the BBC on creating an orchestral sample library. And it's just the first step towards my goal of uh, inspiring a generation of composers, making orchestral music uh, accessible to all by enabling people to make orchestral music. So this is a very exciting next chapter for us. Well, Christian, it's been absolutely uh, fantastic discussing leadership with you. Um, I very much hope to have you on the program again soon so we can continue our conversation. Uh, Christian, thank you. Thanks, Matt. That was Christian Henson, founder and director of Spitfire Audio. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. 
We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex, first team, when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He um, He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager obviously like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved. 
and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, uh, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously... Uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time it maybe overly strict but at times you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn for you and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. 
I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I've been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, if maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and the most stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever. 
which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or 400 people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour, mm. and this occasion I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was a football questions, and then all of a sudden I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him, so I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic, and he said, when a turtle loses itself... Is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but no, then again... I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, me laugh that day. If you could put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work 
for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many... Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those ca- those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, 
the word the word, is team. the word is te- the word is team. Absolutely, and I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant? Uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may you know, have, a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not uh, there's, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and. Uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.